Isn't that cool? <clears throat> Sean and Diana are awesome. And uh, they kick off this financial pizza class today at 1 p.m. at our offices. Some of you need to change your lunch plans and, uh, and just go pick up some Chick-fil-A and take it and just get yourself there. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. I always forget. <clears throat> Thank you. Sort of. <clears throat> in and out Burger and take it over there and, uh, and sign up. You can sign up on the patio today and show up for that. It's, it's had profound impact. Someone was just telling me in between services that they have done financial peace and they got out of $23,000 in credit card debt. Uh, in a short amount of time, and so it just it just matters, which leads us to the topic of today, which is the thing we don't speak of. Remember the movie uh, M Night Shyamalan's The Village, the things we don't speak of. Money and finances are the things that we're just not comfortable talking about, right? And and so uh, a lot of us don't talk about finances with anybody, uh, and some of us project a certain reality of financial, you know, life, but back here it's $120,000 in debt or whatever it is. And uh, churches, a lot of churches don't talk about it just because it's so dicey. Everyone, like me, like many of you, have had bad experiences, maybe in past churches or with people that you feel like they're just kind of manipulating you and they just want your money. That's not, that's not what this is. So if you're, if you're newer and you don't trust me yet, just, just hang with us for a little while. It's not going to be like that. Uh, but we do need to talk about money. We do need to talk about what really the topic for today is generosity because Jesus talked about it. We talk about the things that Jesus talked about. And the reality is in this series called The Pursuit of Happiness, money is what people link to a sense of happiness, right? I mean, they think I'm going to be more happy if I have more money in my bank account. And it's just not true. I could parade people up here in front of you that have plenty of money and are very dissatisfied with life. You know that. You know that that's true. So it's just something that we need to discuss. We need to consider and we need to look at what Jesus has to say about this reality. But before we do, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, did anyone screw up Valentine's Day already? You feel like it's a safe place here. Did you did you did you mess it up? I, I, okay, thank you for your honesty. I, I I almost messed it up because Hillary and I we made plans for Saturday for yesterday. We made plans and it was going to cover all the bases. You know, she was going to feel loved. I was going to eat. It was going to be good. There was going there was this there was this you know thing that was supposed to happen and then she wasn't feeling good. She got sick and so we canceled those plans. But that doesn't mean we cancel Valentine's Day, right? I learned that. And, um, <laughs> and so I had to hustle and like get my act together and kind of get something going really quickly and, uh, and, and barely did. Uh, but, you know, because we've had conversations in the past, dating and married, about how we're not going to just like fully buy into the commercialized holiday and have to get flowers and chocolates just because it's Valentine's Day. Why don't you surprise me with those things during the year, not necessarily Valentine's Day. Well, that's a load of crap. Uh, <laughs> because there are still certain expectations on certain days of the year. So if you're one of those guys and you mess that up, uh, it's not too late. It's Valentine's weekend. Just sell that and then low profile pocket some extra candy on your way out and, and, and try to redeem it. It's still possible, I think. 
we're going to be continuing in this series, The Pursuit of Happiness, where we're going to be talking about Jesus' most famous sermon, the most famous sermon ever preached, called the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been talking about it in the past weeks, and this week we're going into chapter 6. And the reason why this is the most famous sermon ever preached is because Jesus gives us three chapters of content about how he wants us to live. And even if you're here and you're not a Jesus person, you're just kind of checking this thing out, uh, we believe that Jesus was God in skin. So, like, we pay attention. We hang on every word because this is God. But even if you don't, I mean, this is Jesus, everyone cares what Jesus said. Everybody believes that the things that Jesus taught should be followed, paid attention to, adhered to. Everyone believes that. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, starting in chapter 6. And we find that that the context for these few verses is that he's been really challenging religious people. He's been really kind of getting in their face and saying, hey, you guys are presenting a certain thing. You're trying to make yourselves look really good, and you're, and you're making other people feel like they're bad or that they're far from God, and you're messing this all up. And so he challenges them in different ways. He kind of even raises the bar on them. He says things like, you've heard it said, don't murder people, and so you think you're walking the line and you're a good person. But I tell you, why even be angry? Why are you, I mean, you got so much anger and bitterness in your heart. You think that that's good? Right? So he just kind of ups the ante on him. And then he says something like, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, don't have sex with somebody else's wife. But, but I tell you, if you're even thinking about it, visualizing it, kind of what, you, you're already down that road. It's the same thing. Why are you judging those people when you have the same thoughts going on in your head? So Jesus is like really raising the bar on these religious people that think that they're better than and saying it's not... It's not what you think it is. You're not thinking about this properly. And people are listening like, oh, man, if I can't even do the law stuff, how am I going to be able to do this? This is impossible. Jesus, your standard is too high. This is, how are we supposed to even play? We can't do this. And it's as if, in, in, in this sermon, it's as if Jesus is looking at you, looking into your soul and winking at you and saying, I know. It is impossible. You can't be perfect. That's what this is all about. In fact, what I'm going to teach you is you need me to live the life that I designed you to live, to live life to the full, as we've been talking about in this series. And so he continues with his message in chapter 6, verse 1, when he says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now this statement is like the thesis statement of the whole chapter. He's, this is the main thing. This is what I want you to get. Don't do all your good deeds as a show. Don't put on a show to be seen by other people. If you are waiting for validation of other people to figure out if you're spiritual enough, or you're religious enough, then you're playing to them. What's this really about? Perhaps some modern day examples that he, might, that he might challenge are, if you've got the bumper stickers, but you haven't actually even opened up your Bible in a year, what are you really doing? Just a show, right? Or, or perhaps uh, if, you, if you get really excited and, and pray enthusiastically and use religious language in front of people, 
but you haven't been on your knees just between you and me, what are you doing? Is it just a show? Are you just, are you just pretending? Or how about this one? If you only leave a generous tip for the server because you are with people from church, but the rest of the time you're stingy, what do you, you know, really? I mean, it's just, it's just for people to see. It's not really your heart. It's not really, you're not really generous. Or, or if you only give your big gifts when you know that there's going to be a plaque on the wall with your name on it, Right? Jesus is calling out that kind of facade, that kind of religiousness that just wants to be seen as doing good stuff, that just wants to be seen carrying the massive Bible, that just wants to be seen doing all the right things. And he's going, that's not what it's about. It's not for show. Verse 2, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogue and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they're going to get. So that word there, hypocrites, you see it? Hypocrites, that literally means in Greek, stage performers. So don't do it like a stage performer. Don't do it like someone who's just putting on. In, in those days, the stage performers, they would all wear masks in kind of the ancient theater. They, they, everyone wore a mask. That was part of performing. You were, you were portraying something else. You were hiding the reality, and you were portraying something else. And he's saying, don't, don't be fake about it. Don't wear a mask. Don't present something that's not really true. You're missing the whole point. And then he says, people that do that, they will re- that that's all the reward that they're going to get, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because if you're living for the approval of people and you get that by your demonstrations, then, then you got what you wanted. Why would he bless you anymore? That was what you wanted anyway. Okay, then, you're, then we're done here. And, and God's saying, but, but I'm the God of the universe. And if this is between you and me, don't you want me to bless you? Don't you want me to be generous because of your generosity? The question is, who's your audience? Really, who are you doing the things that you're doing for? Is it for recognition? Is it just to set the example and to be the person that they think that they want you to be? Or is this really about saying, God, You're God. You're the God of the universe. And everything that I have is because of you. It's my honor to be generous in response. He goes on, verse 3. But when you give, so it's just assumed, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. So he gets pretty specific here. He said, when you give... I want you to give. It's not politically correct, and people don't like to talk about it, but, but he said, I, but I want you to give and be generous. I want you to. And in that day, with the, with the religious people, the Pharisees, they, what they would do, they would have these grand gestures. So they would go to the, the back boxes in the room, right, and they would say, they would put their money over on one side of their toga outfit thing, right? And, then, and they, would, they would take their hand, their opposite hand, and they would pull it from this side in this big display, and they would do this kind of thing. 
and they would take as much time and ceremony as they could before putting it into the thing, and they would make noises, and they wanted, literally, they wanted everyone to see them. They wanted everyone to pay attention to that. And Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. That's so ridiculous. And if you do that, that's all the reward that you get. I'm not going to bless you because you just want their approval anyway. I want you to give your gifts in private. I want you, this to be between you and me. I want you to really be trusting me, the one who gives you everything and the one who wants to bless you. Don't do this for show. In my own family, um, you know, I, my family didn't grow up with very much money. My, my parents, my dad worked on Young Life staff for 30 years, which, which means a nonprofit ministry deal, and which means that he was raising support for a lot of those years. And so we had, it was simple. We, we lived simply. We lived in Claremont about an hour away. And I never felt like I didn't have enough. I never felt like I lacked. Uh, I didn't know that my pro wings were, you know, lame. I didn't, I didn't know until I got to high school and then my dad like ponied up for some Nikes or something. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like we were, we were lacking. My parents were generous, even though they didn't have very much. They figured out, they gave and they figured out ways that they could be generous even on top of what they gave financially. And so they had people, we had people in our home constantly. We had people living with us, whether it was a weekend and they needed a place to stay because they were going to Disneyland or whatever, or whether it was people that came and stayed at our house literally for months at a time. We had a couple of different people stay for six or 12 month increments. And it's just like, it was just an open home. It was just the way that we did life. And I'm telling you, I saw my family, my parents get blessed by God over and over again. Not because they had a lot of money and they were flaunting it and trying to pretend that they were generous, but just because they were faithful and they took care of people. And I saw how God provided for us time and time again. And I never was hungry. Even though there were times that my parents were stressed out about money, we, I never felt it. And I was never hungry. There was a family, there were close family friends of ours that God used to take care of us that just gave us a Suburban one time, a brand new Suburban because our station wagon that was 15 years old kept breaking. God has a way of rewarding and taking care of his people. There was another time when I got into college and I didn't have very much money, but when I did get a little bit of money, I would give. I was tried to, be, to learn what it meant to be generous, and I watched God take care of me. There was a family that paid for one of my years of college, just out of nowhere. They just said, hey, God has whispered to us, and we want to pay for one of Caleb's years of college. I had a little bit of help from, from volleyball, but USC is thinking expensive, and they just wrote a check for one of my four years of college. He has a way of taking care of people who trust him. And I want to tell you three stories of generosity this morning, three specific stories. And here's what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to pay attention to these stories and to listen to where God might speak to you in terms of one of these stories. I believe that he's going to identify and kind of highlight, spotlight one of these stories, and it's going to be for you. I don't know which one, but I believe that he will, and he's done it all morning already. So I think that there's something for you, for sure in this message, and specifically in one of these stories that he might invite you into. The first story is about Smiley Chris. Chris is uh, still a friend of mine. He still lives in L.A., and he's pursuing acting, and he's known as Smiley Chris because of his pearly whites. He's got this big smile, and he's a fun guy, and even in college, he was that way, and he was just joyful and 
and we loved being around them. And so uh, I believe it was like junior year of college. It was coming up on the winter break, and we had just finished our uh, midterms or, yeah, the, the, the midterms there and the tests and everything. And so we thought, that this is the time, before we all scatter and go to our families' homes, this is the time we should go into Skid Row. We're, you know, curiously close to Skid Row at USC. It's slightly uncomfortable. Uh, but we're going to go and we're going to drive our privileged vehicles and we're going to pull up there and we're going we're gonna to do some good. And that's just as college kids. We just wanted to make a difference. We wanted to make an impact. So what we did was we got a bunch of blankets. We asked friends, other students at the university. We went to the thrift store. We got blankets. And we got some hot chocolate and we got some soup. And we went out in threes, someone carrying a bunch of blankets, someone with the hot chocolate, someone with the soup. And we walked around and we offered people this food and a blanket if they were cold. And, uh, and we made a plan. Okay, we're going to meet right back here at the cars uh, in 45 minutes, 60 minutes at the latest. If you're not back in 60 minutes, we're calling the police. You know, this is skid row. And, uh, and so we made that plan and, and, and we went off and we did our thing. And then at 45 minutes and 50 minutes, people start coming back. We're standing there, we're gathering. It was, oh, it was so cool. This was a great thing. And then we started to notice that someone was missing. Smiley Chris, you know, where, where's Chris? Who was with him? Someone was walking with him. Yeah, we were with him, but then he stopped and he talked to somebody and we kept going and then we lost him. And it was like, Oh, no. That's why you don't split up at Skid Row. You know, you, you stick together in Skid Row. And so uh, we waited a few more minutes, and then it was like 60 minutes. We'd been out there, and it was like, oh, no, we're supposed to call. And people are like, should we call? Should we, should we, let's, let's, like, should we start going and scouting it out and looking around? And then just when we were about to panic, we looked up, and we saw his pearly whites kind of skipping toward us. And it's like, there he is. There's Chris. And he got a little bit closer, and I noticed that he wasn't wearing his beanie. In fact, he wasn't dressed at all like he had been when he got out of the vehicle. And I looked at everyone, and I said, I think he really did get mugged. You know, I think he actually got beat, and he looked at it, he doesn't have his stuff. And he got up to us, and we were like, Chris, what the heck, man? Where's your beanie? Where's your jacket? Where's your shirt? You're not even wearing your shirt. And then we looked down, and he was like, dude, you're not wearing shoes. You're barefoot. You ever heard of tetanus shots? You know, I mean, this is skid row. What are you doing? Did you get mugged? And he's smiling ear to ear, and he goes, no, I didn't get mugged. I just ran out of stuff. I just, I just ran out of my stuff. And then there were still more people. And I got to a guy, and I didn't have any more blankets, so I gave him my beanie. And then I went around, and there was another guy, and he was just in a T-shirt. So I gave him my jacket. And then the person with him, they were just in a T-shirt too, and it was all torn, so I just, I just gave him my shirt. And then I was on my way back, and I saw someone who didn't have shoes. And I thought, I got lots of shoes back at my apartment. I'll just give him these that I'm wearing. And he probably should have my socks too, because he doesn't have socks. And I thought, dang it, I'm still in all my clothes. <laughs> and Chris taught me something about generosity that night. He taught me to give past my comfort zone. Because I had already planned out what I was going to do. We had blankets, and we had soup, and we had cocoa, and it was calculated, and it was generous, and and then Chris went to a whole nother level. 
And he taught me actual real generosity is giving beyond what you calculated, giving beyond what you're comfortable with, and giving beyond your comfort zone. The second story is about two brothers. And these two guys grew up in a family where their parents were always talking about God. And they were like, you don't want to screw this up like we did. You want to follow this God. He is the giver of every good gift. You want to trust him. You want to honor him. He is, he's the God, like we sang in that song, he's the God that gives you your breath and your lungs. He's the God that he makes things grow. The sun goes around like this, and, or we orbit around it, and you just want to like, pay attention and honor this God. In fact, uh, when you grow up, I want you to be generous back to this God who's generous with you. And so to the one boy, they taught him to like really work the land and be, he's good with agriculture and green thumbs. And he's like, so you honor God with the way you work over here, right? And the other boy, he was all about shepherding and animals. So like, hey, you need to figure out how you honor God with those things. And so this is the story of Cain and Abel. And this is what the Bible says in Genesis chapter four. They grew up and Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. Now, the reason why is hidden in plain sight right here. Cain presented some of his crops. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn of his lambs. You know what it is to give God some of, right? It's like, it's like saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to you this month. Um, we're just going to see how it shakes out. And on February 28th, I'm writing you a check for whatever is left. It's all yours, you know? But by the end, of, I've done this before. I've been there. I'm not, you know, I'm not judging that. I'm just saying, it, at the end of the month, it's never what I thought it was going to be. And there were always things that came up that looked pretty attractive that I think that I really needed, right? And so you get to the end of the month, and there's just a little bit, and you're just like, oh, God, I, I, I meant to give you more. Next month, it'll be more. Here you go. You know, thank you. And he's like, okay, I'll take that. But I wish you could have prioritized generosity. And I wish you just would have trusted me that this way that I've invited you to do this is, is better than your way. Whereas Abel says, yeah, here's my best lamb and the firstborn of my best lamb. Here you go. Because I trust that you're the God who gave me these things to manage. Because I trust that you're the God who keeps this whole world spinning. Because I trust that you're the God who keeps breath in my lungs. How would I not give you my best and my first? And what that story teaches me is to give as my first response, not as an afterthought. To give as my first response and not as an afterthought. Not, not as like, well, 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 we'll just see. And at the end, if I, if I got some stuff left, I can, I'll, th I'll throw it at you. You know, and that'll be fine. The third story that I want to share with you this morning is about a single mom. This single mom is talked about in... 1 Kings chapter 17. I'm not going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell you the story. It's a powerful story about a single mom. She had, a, she had one little boy and this famous prophet named Elijah. And God whispers to Elijah and he says, I want you to go find this single mom. 
By the way, it's, it's incredible, this time of famine. And there's no water. It hasn't rained. There's, there's just no stuff. The, the ground can't produce. People are just hurting, 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 like far beyond what we experienced in our economy of late. It's just, it's just dramatic. And, uh, and God whispers to this Elijah character, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to find this single mom. And I want you to sit down at her table and ask her to feed you. And imagine Elijah. He's a good guy. And he's not liking that instruction from God very much. He's like, come on, seriously? A single mom? She's not going to have anything left. Why would I do that to her? Can't you send me to a dude that like, is a butcher and has tons of beef and like, has a surplus, who manages money a little bit better and has more stuff? Like, let me go impose on him. That seems more right. But he doesn't argue with God. He just says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And he goes and he taps on this woman's door and she comes and she says, oh, I think I've heard of you. You're this, you're this prophet guy and why don't you sit at my table? And he looks at her and he goes, okay, do you have any bread? And she says, no, I don't actually have any bread. In fact, I have a handful of flour and just this teeny little bit of oil left and I was going to try to make this last little piece of bread just for me and my son to eat and then, and then that's it. That's all we got. We're done. We're literally going to die probably this week because we've been just kind of wasting away and going with less and less and less, and this is the very last, and this is all we got. And you know that in Elijah's head and in his heart, he's like, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. You, no, I'm not, you are crazy. I'm not going to ask this of this woman. And God just kind of says, no, yes. And he goes, oh, I need you to go in there and bake the bread, and I need you to feed me first. And you got to imagine that her heart breaks. She looks at her kid, who's already, you can already see his ribcage, and he's, he's just, the color's gone out. It's like, really? But she does it. She goes, and she takes the flour, and she takes the oil, and she bakes the bread, and she comes, and he's sitting there starving, and she takes it to the prophet guy, and he says, she says, here you go. And then Elijah says to her, tell you what, your flour and your oil, they're not going to run out. Because of this generous demonstration, you will be taken care of and you will eat until the rain comes back and until there's resources and until God fixes all of this, you and your son will eat. And she's like, okay, okay. And she goes back in and she looks and sure enough, there's more flour and more oil, just enough for her to bake more bread for her and her son. And then she wakes up in the morning and it's back. More flour, more oil, just enough for breakfast. And then she's able to cook maybe just a little bit more for dinner. And she starts to see the color coming back into her son's face. And he's getting a little bit more strong. And she would stand up and she would shout from the rooftops, you can trust this God. Because I gave out of what I didn't have. And he gave me more. He's the God of the universe. He's the God who has everything. He is trustworthy worthy. He loves me and my kid even more than I do. And when I trusted him, he came through. And what I learned from this story is to give 
and then look for the miracles. To give and then look for the miracles. Because when you're responding in faith, something that you believe that God has called you to do, told you to do, even if it's dangerous, even if it's extreme, even if it's radical, you can trust that he is good and that he is faithful. And that even if you're giving out of your lack, he has a way of making things multiply. And if you are responding in faith and following this God, You will not run out of flour, and you will not run out of oil. You might not have all the fattest things and all the... But that doesn't matter. You are on this journey with him, and he will provide for you. Philippians 4.19 says, And this same God who takes care of me, this, this woman would say, who takes care of me, he will supply all your needs too from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So what story sticks out to you? What would God whisper to you this morning? And just say, this is what I have for you. There's more. Will you trust me? Because, friends, generosity is for you. It's for you. I have no manipulative tools up my sleeve. I am not even trying to get you to give to our church. If you've been around here very long, you know, and you've heard me say, I just want you to give. If you're not ready to give to our church, just give somewhere. Because you need to become a more generous person. You will enjoy your life more. And you cannot keep growing spiritually if you can't trust God with your resources. I'm not trying to manipulate anybody into doing anything. I just know that God wants generosity for you. For your sake. It's just better this way. I want to draw you a little picture of how uh, people think about their life and their resources. Can you see that okay? I'm going to make that an X. I'm going to make this a Y. And this is kind of the, if, if, if this is your life now, if this is where things are now, where you are financially now, this is where you want to be. Maybe this is at retirement or this is because I got to get my kids through college. And this is, this, is, this is the future you, the future family. This is where we want to be. Most people believe in, their, in you know, basic math that if they're going to really get to there, that they need to leverage 100% of whatever they've got. Because shoot, I mean, I don't want my kids in pro wings. Or I, you know, I got to pay for football. Or I got to pay for college or I want to retire one day, or this is Orange County for crying out loud. How do you expect me to live in Orange County and not leverage every penny that I make that I've earned with my hard-earned money, right? But there's another group of people that have discovered, maybe, you know, just accidentally at some point, they've discovered that that's normal, you know, that, that's normal, and that's how a lot of us live. And, but they've discovered that if they, if they figure out how to live on less and give a percentage away, that this isn't the end game for them. That they've discovered that actually God does something else. That there's another level. That there's more blessings. That somehow... 
there's more flour that just keeps coming, that somehow there's more oil, that somehow there's, there, there, there's more abundance, there's more relationship, there's more connectedness, there's more happiness, there's more joy. There, there, there's, there's just more in this approach, and that's what a lot of people have come to believe. Now, what's interesting is that these people think that these people are idiots. They're like, what are you doing? Why would you? No one is going to be charitable with you. You keep what's yours and you make it multiply and invest in here and here and here and then put it to work and put the da 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 da. You can't. Why mess around with that? Why would you, why would you give anything away? But these people over here feel like these people are idiots because they're like, why would you give this up? You're short-sighted. There's only so much that you can do with money. How much more do you think God can do with your money? He's capable. It's all his anyway. We've found that he just blesses and blesses and blesses, and it's even more. It's even more than you're messing around with here, fighting and pinching pennies and living. The question is, which idiot are you? Which idiot do you want to be? Look at this last couple of verses here from Mark chapter 10. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution because, because life is difficult, and in the age to come, eternal life. He's saying, I, you will not get shortchanged. If you trust this God, he will take care of you, and it'll be even better than what you could do on your own. It'll be even better. Some of those blessings will be monetary. Some of them will. Some, some of them might be stuff. But a lot of them are in terms of relationship, in terms of influence and opportunity and connectedness and joy and passion and purpose in life. It's just more. It's just better. It's just a fulfilling, abundant kind of life because you trust him. As I think just back to my parents, they're never going to be wealthy financially by anybody's standards, even, even though they've been generous. But they are the richest people I know in terms of relationships. They are the richest people I know. They are the richest people I know in terms of influence, in terms of the way that God has used them. He takes care of people who trust him. It's just what he does. So one last question that I would invite you to consider this morning. What's your next step of courage? Toward generosity. What would he invite you to do? What would he ask of you? What would he whisper? What has he been saying? What would be just one more step down this path of generosity that you could take? What would that look like? God, we pray that you would continue to speak to us, that you would continue to prompt us, that you would give us courage to follow you. We want to trust you. We want, we want your blessings. We want your abundant blessings. Give us the courage to take our next step of obedience and faithfulness and follow you. In Jesus' name.